with me now and turn to Genesis 1. And we've got lessons available right now. So whoever needs a lesson, raise your hand. Genesis chapter 1. And uh, this, is a fun, this is a fun study. Now listen carefully. There are many things in our Genesis study uh, that you can disagree with me about, okay, and still be a, a Christian and a fundamentalist, okay? Now we're going specifically by the biblical text, okay? So what does the biblical text teach? It teaches a literal six-day creation, okay? I, I see there's no way to get around the idea of a gap that was between God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Obviously, there was a gap of time there because there was a period of time when the earth was first created. Think with me if you will for a moment. Uh, the earth was first created. Then this earth was watery for some reason. It was a watery globe for some reason. The Bible says that. And then creation week began. So I, I'm, you say, Pastor Money, how long was the gap? 20 minutes? I don't know. A year? I don't know. A million years? It doesn't matter. The Bible does not say, but it is obvious to the casual observer that that is what happened. So, but does that diminish the idea of being a six, 24-hour day literal creationist? No, no, it doesn't diminish that at all. Don't fall into that silly trap that says that, that the quote-unquote gap theory diminishes that. It doesn't diminish it. It actually is precisely what the Bible says. And I, I belabored that point because you cannot, when you look at the Hebrew and the English, you see a clear formula uh, that fences in, that barricades what happens on the various days of creation. You can't add stuff to it, okay? The moment you add stuff to it, you're adding to scripture, you're violating the Bible, you're adding theory. Now, when I give you something that is a maybe, could be, this makes sense, it's possible, you know I'm going to tell you that, right? I'm not gonna be dogmatic about it, okay? Because we're dealing with one of the most ancient documents in the world, and we're dealing with a document that covers a huge span of time in just a handful of verses and chapters. So, having understood that, look at lesson four, the introduction. Having established the creation of the heaven and the earth, the subsequent de uh, deluge that made the earth without form and void, and the presence of the Spirit of God hovering over the catastrophe, Moses introduces the six days of creation. Now, remembering several salient points here, because we are Bible believers, okay? I went over the last lesson, uh, some false ideas, progressive creationism, theistic evolution. We wholeheartedly reject those things because they either remove God from the equation or they truncate his influence in creation sufficiently that he didn't have much more to do than what a deist would say, start the world in creation. We, we, we reject all of that. Uh, look, if you will, please, at point number one, the work of each day is limited to the formula, and God said, dot, 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 and it was good. The specifics of each day come between those phrases. Randomly adding other things to any of the days is pure speculation. I want to pause there for a moment. You're so past money, Dr. So-and-so, who has a DR in front of his name, he says that the angels were created either on the first day or the third day. Prove it. Prove it. You cannot prove that. In fact, we know, because we do believe the Bible around here, we know that the angels were created before the heaven and the earth ever was created. What? Oh, yeah. 
The Bible says that the sons of God, that, by the way, is a Hebrew expression for angelic host, and I'll prove that later on. The sons of God and the morning stars saying together when, when they witnessed God creating the heaven and the earth. Angels are created beings, but they were created before even the creation of the heaven and the earth. And you'd have to, again, deny a huge swath of scripture in order to come up with the idea that we have to cram the angelic host into the six days of creation. So let's do this. I'll make a deal. You want, can we make a deal right now? Let's make a deal. Okay, here's our deal. We are only going to say what the Bible says. How about that? And if we have a speculation, we're going to label it as a speculation, okay? Because we're going to stay very strict to the text of Scripture. Now, I understand how nervous people get. By the way, we're only in the third verse, okay? okay? You don't even have cause to be nervous yet because you wait until we get into some other things, okay? But, uh, but understand something. We're going to go with what the text says and not try to make stuff up. Does everybody agree to that? Because after all, we're Bible believers. Okay, so uh, look at point two. The days of creation as described are literal 24-hour days. I covered that previously in detail. The unique Hebrew phraseology makes this matter inescapable. Any theory that proposes the days are long periods of time is a theory not supported in Scripture. It is pure speculation and ultimately a denial of the plain meaning of the words. Okay, the clear, the, 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 that should, plain should be spelled the other way, right? Okay, fix it, please, fix it. That just irritated me. I just irritated myself. I missed the edit, folks. I missed the edit. Spell check should have caught that, but it's dumb. Number (laughs) number three, number three, God spoke creation into existence by his word, okay? This is really important. Ex nihilo, Latin for out of nothing, spoken, and God said. Remember those key words, and God said, okay? Why is this important? Because Jesus is the word, okay? The logos of God in John 1, 1 through 3. God spoke creation into existence, and he is therefore transcended from his creation. So remembering that this is Jesus. We're talking about Jesus, okay? God spoke creation into existence, and he is therefore transcendent from his creation. Pagan mythology see gods in the wind, the water, the fire, blah, blah, blah. Jehovah is separate from his creation and sovereign over his creation. Now listen, this is so key. This separates us from all paganism, all of it, because all paganism can reduce their God into something that is either weather or physical related in creation or something that they have created with the work of their hands. Every pagan god is limited because they are part and parcel of the created order. Follow me very carefully. God, Jehovah, Jesus stands as transcendent from creation, okay? He is not just, well, Pastor Monty, you know, I, I, I hear God whispering in the wind. Well, I wish you would stop with things like that a little bit. Put on the brakes on that just a little bit, okay? Um, the wind is a beautiful thing to hear, especially when the wind blows through a north pine. And the scent of the north pine, you know, there's nothing more beautiful than that and nothing more beautiful. That's not the voice of God. 
The voice of God is heard in the word of God. Okay, be careful. Now, does God ride upon the wings of the wind? The Bible says that he does, okay? But even in that verse, transcendent, not part of. Does everybody follow what I'm saying? I hope you really understand this. This is why when we talk about paganism, you say, oh, Pastor Monty, the, the world doesn't really in, endorse any form of paganism. Oh, really? How many times have you heard the phrase Mother Earth? Sometime in, in April, they have Earth Day, and a bunch of wackos gather at different places around the world, and they, they, they wear these robes, and they chant, and they run around. I think they do this at Stonehenge, which is a complete misappropriation of what Stonehenge is and where it came from. Oh, we'll get there after a while. Uh, but, yeah, total misappropriation of that. But when, whenever someone says, uh, uh, you know, Mother Earth, okay, no, no, no. By the, by the way, that was a very established pagan origin idea that goes all the way back prior to even the time of the New Testament, okay? We reject that. We reject that. Why? God is transcendent from his creation. He stands outside of his creation, and he is in sovereign control over his creation. It's really important to understand this. So it's not good to litter. It's not good to litter. It's not good to throw your trash all around, okay? It's not good to, to take old spare tires and throw them down the ravine just because you have that as part of your backyard, okay? That's super dirty and really tacky, and it's white trash on top of all those things. If you're doing that, that's very white trash, but you're not violating God because God is not nature. God created nature. We need to understand that. Okay, the first day, what happened? <laughs> Genesis 1.1. Pardon me, 1 3. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And the, uh, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Now, that pattern sets up a pattern that you're going to see over the six days creation. A couple exceptions here and there, and we'll explain them as we go along, but that's the general pattern. So what was on the first day? Having already created the heaven and the earth, God spoke light into existence specifically on the first day. Again, if you're going to argue with me that, well, the earth had to be created on the first day, I'm going to ask you to show me one verse in the Bible, one verse, and you're not going to have one. Okay, now just, you say, Pastor, you're sounding rather dogmatic. Well, it's better to be dogmatic than to be asthmatic. And so I've chosen dogmatic over that. Um, so light created, now look at point number one. The light created on the first day was not sunlight, but light itself. The light bearers, the sun, moon, stars, etc., would not be created until day four. Now I want to pause there for a moment. Because there's always a controversy, isn't there? There are many good conservative, Boyce would be an example of this. I, I didn't put it in here, but there are other conservative commentators who would say, no, when God created the heaven and the earth, the heaven would have included things like the sun, the moon, and the stars, all those kind of things, and that they only became light bearers on the fourth day. 
The theory behind that is this, and Chris, you've probably heard of this, this line of thinking. The theory behind that is this, that the earth was enveloped in, in a fog that was so dense at this time uh, that the light could not be seen from the earth, and then by day four the fog cleared, and the purpose of the light bearers was given. Okay, that, That's a position held by Boyce. Now, you say, Pastor Monty, I kind of like that. Okay, that's fine if you like that. It's not exactly what the Bible says, but but maybe, you know, maybe. I don't know. I wasn't there, neither were you. But I tend to think that only light was created on the first day, that uh, light, and, and, and there's something about this, and someone suggested this, and I looked into it a little more. Remember who we're talking about here, Jesus in present in creation. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And certainly the fact that light is on the first day is indicative of the presence of Jesus Christ. I can't wait to get to heaven. Well, I mean, not like tomorrow or anything, but, but <laughs> I'm going on vacation for two weeks. At some point after that, I can't, <laughs> I can't wait. I know you're laughing, but you know, I'm just too real and some of you get uncomfortable. Pastor Monty, wouldn't you like to go? No, well, let's just not get, okay. Um, light. Light, the very presence of the Lord, okay? Light, that, that his presence is real and there in creation. The Bible speaks of this. Without him, speaking of Jesus, the New Testament says, was not anything made that was made. And he stands as the light. He is not just the light bearer. We are image bearers. We are light bearers because we're made in the image of God. But Jesus stands as the light. He is the light. He is the one true light that comes into the world. When you look at the New Testament uh, ideas behind the word light and how the New Testament ideas apply to Jesus, you see on the very first day of creation, the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is light himself. So you say, Pastor, was there in the absence of a light bearer, uh, where did the light come from? I think the light came from the Lord himself, the Shekinah glory. Rob, you had a, a question or a comment, and speak up loudly. Likely spoke Aramaic, actually, but okay. As the light, you're saying. Yes, that's correct. I looked at that. It was just too detailed to put in the lesson. But, <laughs> but, but that's correct, yes. His presence and who he is as the, as the one who is the true light. Okay, so now look at point two. The newly created light, if we can use that phraseology, or the newly present light, if you will, drove back the darkness that had enveloped the earth in verse number two. Remember, darkness was upon the face of the deep. The Bible says that. The newly created light functioned as a measurement of time, day and night, evening and morning. Later, the sun and the moon would reflect the time through light and through darkness. So this is all correct, regardless of what position you take as to the source of that original light, okay? And again, you say, Pastor Money, I'm, I'm going to study this out and I'm going to take a hardcore position. You know what? Look at me, look at me. I would love it if you would study this out. Do you know why? Because you'll be studying the Bible. 
rather than reading Instagram. I would love it, okay? I would love it if you would study. Now, what if people in this room, what if they were to come to differing conclusions? Look at me, everybody. That's okay. You can have opinions where the Bible is not definite in what it says. Does everybody follow what I'm saying? But don't fight over it. Okay, don't get into arguments with other Christians over it. This is, that would be silly, okay? And, and by the way, don't dig in your heels and think you're right. I warned the, I was preaching down at Pensacola to the students, the Bible college students, uh, and they're the, the ministerial class. I had about 90 of them in a room, and uh, while well, I was down there a couple weeks ago, and I said to the young men, I said, now I said, learn everything you can at this institution, but understand this is not all you're going to learn. Understand that four years of this cannot even scratch the surface of the Bible. And understand that if you're really going to preach God's word, you're going to have to be a learner throughout your whole life. And based on that, I said this, don't dig in your heels about something that is non-essential. Learn first. You say, Pastor, what do you mean? Here's an essential, the deity of Jesus Christ. Dig in your heels. If you ever deny that, you're in trouble. Here's an essential. The blood atonement of Jesus Christ. Dig in your heels on the substitutionary blood atonement of Christ. But if you dig in your heels too early on things that you haven't really studied out, later on you will betray ignorance. And if you do that, you might become stubborn and just decide, okay, this is this. I took this position on some, uh, some arbitrary small thing and this is what I have to do the rest of my life. I would be careful about that. Okay, look at point number three. The light of the first day may, and this, uh, this comes uh, from several authors, but primarily from uh, Arnold Fruchtenbaum. The light of the first day may be the Shekinah glory of God, the light of his presence. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 hints at this possibility. Remember, prophetically speaking, Jesus, the Messiah, is the light, okay? And what is the Shekinah glory of God? That's an interesting question, Okay. It is the light that appears, that is the presence of God. So let's just take a little excursus here, if I may. An excursus. Pastor Monty, what is an excursus? An excursus is a beautiful Latinized term for rabbit trail. Okay, you sound a little more intellectual if you say the word excursus. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna do an excursus here. So so when we we talk about okay when we're we're talking about um, the text of scripture, we understand that the Shekinah glory of God is the presence, the light in which God dwells. Okay, I want you to think for a moment about the star of Bethlehem. Why do you think for a moment? So many, many people who are involved in astronomy, and I'm no critic of their efforts because astronomy has always interested me. I said astronomy, not astrology, okay? Although there's something, we're not gonna go there. And so anyway, astronomy has always interested me, but when you start to study that, the vastness of the universe, the vastness of our planetary system in the Milky Way, when you start to study that, if you've ever looked at that, how many have had your mind just boggled by it? Have you? I know, right? Like, and by the way, how could someone not believe in God? Oh, well, all that was just an accident. You know, and then I'm going to go play Angry Birds while I eat a Pop-Tart. You know, that, that's, the, that's the basic level 
of anti-intellectualism today, it's astounding to me. But so, so think about astronomy. Now there are people who try to look back, they turn you know, with the computer, they turn back the, crank back the heavens and stars and say, what was the light, what was the star that guided the wise men at the birth of Jesus? What was that star? And, and there are some people that come up with plausible explanations for some comet or something like that. I have no criticism of these people because they're basically trying to say, hey, here's what happened. But you know what I've often thought? Because that light, that star, was so directive and moved in such an erratic fashion and would be the sign of the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, the God-man, I have often felt that that star is the Shekinah glory of God in the heavens, present in the heavens. Isn't that fascinating? So if you did, you could, we're not going to spend much more time here, but you could study the issue Old Testament and New Testament. You could study the word light in relationship to God and it would be an astounding, deep study. You could learn a lot from that. So I tend to view this as the Shekinah glory of God, his presence on that very first day. The chronology of the text emphasizes, that should be capital G there, emphasizes that God is the ultimate source of light. The dischronalization probably functions as a polemic against pagan religions, which worship the creature or creatures, not the creator, upon whom the creation depends. Now, what are we saying here? Um, When you look at how the text is ordered, it demonstrates the presence of God first and separate from his creation. We are not pagans. God is transcendent. That word means he is separate from his creation. It doesn't mean he's distant. It doesn't mean that he is not omnipresent because he is, okay? He can be in heaven, hell, and everywhere all at the same time. Multiple scriptures teach that. But it does mean this, that he is separate from creation in that he is not part of creation that is to be worshipped. So what is paganism? Let's take uh, Egyptian theology. Oh, the sun god, Ra, the sun god for the Egyptians. That's the top dog of the Egyptians in theology. Well, it would appear so because the sun is a big deal, right? But it's nothing. It's created by the god Jehovah. Do you see the difference? So the sun god doesn't rule over others and then get into arguments with lesser gods. That's all paganism, folks. And all of paganism connects their deity to something that is created. God is transcendent from that. So uh, look at point B. The result of God creating light was the separation uh, of light from darkness. Well, they are opposites. They work in tandem to define time. That's a highly important point, okay? Why? Because, again... The first day created light, why? So that this world we could demonstrate even before the fourth day of the light bearers, we could come to the conclusion that we're dealing with 24 hour literal days. I I find it interesting that the Bible falls all over itself to define creation as literal 24 hour days. And you know what is tragic? There are some theologians who fall all over themselves to deny what the Bible so plainly teaches. That's the real tragedy. And we're just, as we said from the beginning, we're just going to believe the Bible. Look at point C on page 13. God named the light day 
and the darkness night, indicating his sovereign control over both. Naming is an act of sovereignty and dominion. The creator acts in dominion over his creation. You say, Pastor, why is that important? Because later, God's going to assign Adam a task in relationship to the animals. Does anyone know what the task is? To name them, to name them. Pastor Ronnie, why would God tell Adam to name something? That, and, and, and by the way, why would that task be recorded in scripture? Because wherever you have instance of names or names changing, that is a mark of sovereignty and dominion, okay? So, uh, so we have Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, well, Abraham. No, what was his name initially? Abram. God said, now you're going to be called Abraham. I heard a southern preacher say, when Abram got right with God, God added the ham. <laughs> well, amen. Okay. <laughs> Let's all go have dinner. Amen. I just heard that one. It stuck in my mind, though, for some reason. But what, what about, what about um, um, Abram, Isaac? What about Jacob? What was, he, what was his name changed to? Israel, what does that mean? Prince with God. Now, why all these name changes? Okay, even Paul, Saul. Okay, why all these? And by the way, Peter, right? All these name changes. If you really go into it in scripture, you're going to have a lot of naming issues. The primary reason is dominion. So now listen carefully. God, in the very first day of creation, emphasized his own dominion by not only creating light, but by naming light and by separating night from day, light from darkness. That shows the dominion of God over his creation. Later, God says, we're going to make man in our image. Pastor Monty, the our image, that's gotta be the Trinity. Eh, maybe, maybe not, probably not actually. <gasps> Pastor Monty, what is that? The image of God in the angelic host, we'll get there. We'll get there after a while. Angels are made in the image of God, too. Angels look strikingly like men. Ever thought about that? Pastor, why do you mean that little plastic? I had a lady come up to me. I, God love this dear lady. She moved away so I can talk about her now. <laughs> she came up to me after service one time, and she was so upset because I talked about angels. In the Bible, angels look like men. Do you know why? Because they're often mistaken for men, okay? And... and and she said, Pastor Monty, you mean the angel I bought at Walmart? This little yard angel, this little yard angel. She said, you mean that's not accurate? She's heartbroken. I said, no, that angel's not accurate. I said, that's actually the pagan god Nike. Okay, uh, Nike tennis shoes, the god of victory. That's what the, stylistically people look at angels and say that's an angel. No, that's a pagan god, okay? And, and, but I said, you don't have to throw it away. Just label it right and you'll be okay. And please don't worship it. But God is a god of dominion. What did he do? He gave man dominion over the earth. Isn't that interesting? God gave man dominion over the earth. So this act of naming is an act of exercising dominion. Then point D, God defined the first day as the evening and the morning. In Jewish thought, sunset begins a new day. So if you're in Israel on Friday, there's a particular point in time when the sun reaches a certain point in the sky, and of course it's different every Friday, 
where they declare the Shabbat, the Sabbath has come in based upon that. The day ends at the next sunset. So they go sunset to sunset, essentially. Therefore, a Hebrew day comprises the evening, the dark time, and the morning, the light time. Again, a 24-hour day is the inescapable conclusion of the passage. And folks, that, that's what we have here. Now, I could have gone on much more. We'll save this for next time. Be back next time because Brother Chris Clay is going to do a stellar job on creation. All right, I'm going to...